Welcome to episode 144 of Ordinary to Extraordinary. I'm your host, Stephen Brown, Scottish guy in Spokane, for another couple months at least. And today I talk about the comfort paradox, or a comfort paradox that I believe exists for everybody right now. Um, Some of the things I touch on are generational differences between uh, how we grew up, what's expected of us, why we seek comfort, and how it can be noble to seek comfort. But if we're going to create an easier life for ourselves in general, what can we replace that with in terms of manufactured hardships and discomforts? Just so we keep ourselves sharp, just so we're always making ourselves better. So, I think it was a good recording. Hope you guys enjoy it. And here we go to the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ordinary to Extraordinary, another solo episode. Planned on having a guest host this week, but that fell through. Um, It's just a rain check. It's not that it won't happen, it's just that it's not happening today. So I think I've got a solid topic to chat on myself today. We'll see how this goes. Um, I'm going to talk on the comfort paradox, which may be something that someone else created, but it's something that I'm always thinking about. It is Saturday the 16th of October. This episode will go live on Monday the 18th of October 2021. Um, I actually have quite a fun day planned. I'm going to go and see Dan Cummins tonight. We had Dan and his wonderful wife Lindsay on our podcast. Ben and I did way back in September 2019. He has the Time Suck podcast, which is a wonderful podcast. It's probably the only podcast I listen to weekly. Others I'll sort of dive in and out of, but I like learning, I like comedy, and I like learning about serial killers and events and things like that. So if you like useless knowledge, sometimes funny knowledge, um, go ahead and give Dan Cummins and the Bad Magic podcasts I listen to. So um, Time Sucks, the name of that podcast, Bad Magic is the collection of podcasts. There's some other podcasts in in their family as well. Um, what else has been going on with me? I'm coaching soccer, obviously. I think I mentioned that. Uh, it's been a frustrating week. We are in the midst of a, I think it's five games in nine days run of games because we were shut down for 10 days because we had positive COVID tests. So that's definitely, uh, it leans into what I'm going to talk about today about being comfortable and being uncomfortable because playing that many games in a short time frame with little time to prepare and recover is always difficult. So exposing some of the players that I work with to being uncomfortable as well. Um, So episode 144, the comfort paradox. And here is the paradox. Um, I guess I'll start with me growing up. When I was young, we were not wealthy in any shape or form. Mum and dad worked real hard. And when I say mum and dad worked real hard, dad worked, mum stayed at home and worked hard with the boys until I was maybe 15 or 16 before my mum had a a full-time out-of-the-house job. She did do in-home childcare, I think, from when I was 10 years old. But I remember my mum being at home. I've got five brothers. There's six of us total. Um, And I really remember we didn't need for much. We were always fed, we were always clothed, but we certainly weren't wealthy and we couldn't do all the things we wanted to. So from a young age, I craved 
more. I wanted bigger house, better car, fancy TV. I indulge this passion now. I wanted better shoes. Um, not that I didn't have good shoes. I just wanted more of them. I wanted all the fancy Nikes, all the fancy Adidas at that time. Now I only do Nike. But in growing up, I understand craving comfort. I understand craving more. I understand craving better. So that's that's my background. Um, and I think there's some generational differences. I think we used to have to embrace discomfort a lot more. Um, so being a late Gen Xer slash early millennial, I'm right on that that cusp. So I had an analog childhood and a digital uh, adolescence on. We uh, we were the least supervised generation ever. So went outside and played, didn't worry about being taken by people, made our own dinner sometimes, knew where the fridge was if we wanted a snack. Um, snacking wasn't even a thing in my house. It was just you ate at meal times. If you were hungry before that, you maybe made yourself a sandwich or something. Um, but there was a lot of discomfort. And I don't mean that it was a bad childhood. By discomfort, I mean, I knew what it was to be cold. I knew what it was to be tired and hungry. I knew what it was to be bored and have to entertain myself and not have a screen in front of me for three, four, five, six hours a day. A lot of the things that children now don't get to experience or embrace. So generationally, I feel blessed because in later life, I still feel like that serves me well. Um, Obviously now, with screens, with the way kids are raised now, it's more of a sterile environment. They generally don't get to be out of their parents' sight. You know, we'll call it helicopter or hovering parents. They tend to try and remove some of the pain and some of the things that I embraced, whether I wanted to or not as a child. Where I'm going with this is modern life has become so easy. And I don't necessarily think people take it for granted. I just think it's a complete subconscious thought that everything's easy. We have clean water. We have food in our fridges. We have heating and air conditioning. So if we're too hot, we turn on air conditioning. If we're too cold, we turn on the heat. We don't have to start a fire. We put on a sweater, whatever it is. We don't want for very much. Cars make our lives so much simpler. Public transport, infrastructure, all of these things exist much better now than they did in the past. Um, Automated labor. You know, there's still people that do manual labor, but we have computers and robots and gadgets and things that make life much easier, right? Um, you know, manual labor isn't as hard as it as it was even 20, 30 years ago. Again, we have contraptions and devices and, and things that make... And, and this isn't to say that I'm anti, uh, anti-innovation. I'm just saying that as things get easier, what I believe happens is we get softer. All right, and we crave that. We crave comfort. We crave ease. So when we're lifting bricks or you know pushing things around or doing manual labor, we're always thinking, "God, this could be easier." And then innovation comes from the need to make things easier or make things more comfortable. That's not bad in and of itself. But where I'm going to go with this is we have to replace some of the hardships. We have to replace some of the discomfort that we had with 
discomfort that is controlled. So, um, I don't think striving for... <laughs> let, let me rephrase that. Striving for comfort is noble in and of itself, but only if we're creating that controlled hardship and challenging ourselves to balance it out. That's the point I'm making, and I'm going to make a case for that as I talk a little bit more. I'm embracing and have done for a long time the term, and I'm doing air quotes here, even though nobody's here, comfortable being uncomfortable. I'm not a big fan of cliches. I'm not even a big fan of that per se, because I think often it's misinterpreted as, oh, well, I did this, or I did that, or, well, it took me an hour and a half to go home from work instead of an hour to go home from work like it normally does. I had to embrace discomfort there. That's not the kind of controlled discomfort I'm talking about. Um, I mean really challenging yourself. So the way I do this primarily is I say what I'm thinking and I say what most won't dare say. And I say it in environments that most won't dare say it also. So I think often Ben would tell me when we were on the podcast, sometimes you don't need to say anything. And I 100% agree with that, with the caveat that sometimes you absolutely have to say something. And if you don't, you're doing a disservice to you and you're doing a disservice to the people around you. Even if some people think it's not your place, if it's your truth and it's yours to it's your it's your responsibility as far as I'm concerned to always speak out about what's going on around you. Um, so uh, the reason I say that, and I bring this up quite often in, in conversations, is I have always strived to be like the kid in the story, The Emperor's New Clothes. I'm going to give a brief summary of that just in case anybody isn't familiar with it. It was one that it, I had the book and and my home when I was young. It was one I always found myself coming back to. I think I enjoyed the the images in it more than I enjoyed reading it. I never really was a big reader as a young child. But The Emperor's New Clothes is essentially, there's a guy who is an autocratic leader. He, look at me making a, a kid's story complicated. Um, so he's a ruler. What he says goes, Everybody panders to him. If he says the sky is green, people go, oh yeah, it's green. So there's a con man and the con man likes making money. And the con man comes to town and the emperor wants a new set of robes for some procession or whatever he's going to do in public. And the con man goes, I can make some money here and it's not going to cost me anything. So the con man goes and sees the emperor and basically convinces the emperor that the invisible thread that he makes his robe with is so expensive and so fancy and so special that he needs to have it and he has to pay this much for it, right? So he makes the robe and when I say he makes the robe, he obviously doesn't make the robe. The emperor is completely naked but thinks he's wearing something that everybody else can see. And he's on this procession and the rest of the village, the rest of the town, whatever it is, they're all pointing and clapping and saying, yeah, that's great. The emperor looks wonderful. Until a child, and it often takes a child to give us um, some clarity in situations. Uh, anybody that's a parent can probably relate to that. A child points 
and says the emperor isn't wearing any clothes. Now, I don't remember exactly how the story ends, but I believe the con man was long gone with his money. The kid initially gets in trouble, but the emperor gets embarrassed, covers himself up, and everybody realised that the emperor was hoodwinked, and from there on after, nobody placated the emperor, and the emperor was a little bit more open to been told that things weren't good and things weren't right so that was my takeaway from it i've always wanted to be the kid like i'm not going to subscribe to bullshit i'm not going to placate people who need to hear a different narrative from the one that they're pushing or the one that has been pushed on them and i think that's where being uncomfortable should start for everybody speak your mind speak it often and always 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 um Start with it being principled. So if you're going to speak your mind just to be mean, that's not a good time to do it. But if you have principles, if you have a honor code or something that you have built into your value system, then it's okay for you to start there and speak out. And not only about the things that media tells you to be outraged by, because that's another problem we have in society today, we tend to get outraged really easy. Dan Crenshaw has a book about this. It's wonderful if you haven't read it. If you don't like Dan Crenshaw, that's one thing. But the book's still worth a read because there's solid points to be made there. I don't agree with everything he says. In fact, I think sometimes he's just a little too pushy on some things. But the book is wonderful and you should definitely check it out. Something I would touch on here is that often discourse is looked at as being disrespectful. I sat in a bar last night one of my favourite bars, Jack and Dan's. It's down here in Spokane next to Gonzaga University. It's kind of famous, actually. And I had a heated discussion with two of my closest friends. And by heated, I mean we disagreed strongly on a lot of things. We even got to the point last night where our voices were elevated and we were we were coming at things from a bad place. But the three of us reached a point where it's like, okay, so what do we agree on? And how do we branch out from there? And from that discourse, we found common ground and we provided all of our perspective and life experiences and the reasoning behind the attitudes and the values and the things that got us to what, where we were in terms of our opinion and agreed, okay, you're not wrong and you're thinking to get there. We're just going to have to disagree and agree to disagree on what we actually believe at the end of it because everybody's experiences are different it doesn't mean that one person is right or wrong and there's so much subjectivity to all of these discussions don't let yourself be minimized because it's not consensus within the media or consensus within people that follow a certain political party or lean a certain way on things consensus means that someone isn't thinking Consensus means that there's a everybody is in agreement. That's not okay. We should always have dissent. We should always have discourse. So there's another guy that I actually watched a, um, an interview with this week. His name is David Goggins. I'm sure if you've not heard of him, you can easily Google him or go to YouTube. He's a, He's a lunatic that runs every freaking day. And when I say lunatic... I mean he's an absolute a maniac. When he's hurt, he runs. He'll pull over in the desert and knock out 20 miles. Been on Joe Rogan, 
The guy's a former Marine. He was fat before he was a Marine, and he realized his life wasn't going anywhere, and he taught himself to be comfortable being uncomfortable. But he is a massive proponent, as am I, of pushing beyond your comfort zone. So I talked about this comfort paradox. I believe that growth starts at the end of your comfort zone. And in order to be a better person, and by better, I don't necessarily mean from a moral standpoint, I mean holistically, you have to be a catalyst for growth in your own world. So he talks about this in, a, in an interview I watched on YouTube, where he talks about we have two voices in our head. We have an easy internal voice telling us that we're at our capacity, we're doing well, we're doing great, um, and physically and mentally, it loves you regardless of what you are. Even if you're a piece of shit playing a video game every day on the couch, not taking care of yourself, not taking care of the people around you, and contribute nothing to society, in your mind, you're great, you're good, and that's your easy voice. And then you've got your hard voice. And that's the one that's going to tell you that you're not at your full potential. That's the one that's going to tell you, hey, you're a piece of shit sitting on the couch playing video games when you could be doing X, Y, and Z and improving yourself. This should not be confused with negative self-talk. Negative self-talk is when you are doing good and you get imposter syndrome and you're telling yourself you're not doing good, okay? Failure's good. Often when we fail, we tell ourselves that we're doing bad. That's not to be confused with this, this um, good or easy voice in your head. The easy voice in your head is going to tell you you're great regardless. The hard voice in your head is going to tell you when you need to wake up. And we always know. We might deny it. We might suppress these thoughts. But that hard voice needs to be listened to. And you've got to tap into it. We seek the easy voice often. And we surround ourselves with echo chambers of the internal easy voice with our friends and our family. And what we need, everybody needs this in their life. I'm usually this person and I seek these people out in my life as well. I will call you on your bullshit. I will tell you when you're not taking care of yourself. I will tell you or ask you to be a better person and ask you to push me to be a better person. That's what everybody needs in their life. If you feel like you've got this echo chamber of people in your life that are telling you everything's great, but you have this niggly feeling on the inside that, well, everything isn't great, so why are they telling me it is? All right, and again, not to be confused with support. Support is wonderful. You want people that are going to support you in your life, but you don't want people that are going to support negative actions, negative thoughts, and a pathway to not growing. You should be seeking growth. Ben and I disagreed on this. I believe if you're not growing, you're dying. If you're not learning, you're dying. And I certainly don't want to think I'm at my capacity and this is all I can do. I think eventually that leads to complete disenchantment with yourself, with life, with your friends. And in general, it just leads to people being depressed. I think if you're seeking out growth and you're surrounding yourself with people that will call your bullshit out, you're going to be a better person and you're going to be a happier person. I want critical feedback. I want to hear your opinion of what I'm doing wrong and why you think I'm doing it wrong. And we might have a discussion. The caveat is, I may dive in and disagree with you, but I'll listen. I may explain the method to my madness. And I'll give an anecdote here, just from this week in coaching. 
one of the girls approached and said, hey, can we try this? And I said, okay, I'm, I'm willing to hear you out. You tell me why you think we should do this. And this was right before a video session, which was great timing on her part. And I said, okay, I am going to acknowledge that what you're saying makes sense on the surface. Will you give me a chance to show you why we won't do that? And in the video, I showed them our formation, what we're doing, why we're doing it, how by pulling a player from another location to put them where that player thought they should be would actually expose us to bigger risk of losing goals and danger in a different, in a different spot on the field. So I look at that as she had a thought. She, she wanted to have discourse and dissent a little bit, which is 100% healthy. She did it in an, in an agreeable manner. She came and she asked if we could talk about it. We talked about it. I acknowledged there was merit to what she was saying in certain circumstances, showed her why we wouldn't do that 100% of the time, and the agreement was, in this situation, we can do that, but we can't always do that. So just a little anecdote to show that it's good to question people. If, if you're in an environment, whether it be a, a relationship, a work environment, a learning environment or anywhere else that your leadership doesn't want you to have discourse with them in a respectful manner, quite frankly, without any respect to them, get the hell out of there. That's not a healthy situation for anyone. So the idea here is that we take that David Goggins approach and we turn the voice that doubts us up and we make a commitment, and this is my words, not his, we make a commitment to prove that voice wrong. So when I was an athlete, I still consider myself an athlete, but I mean when I was playing regularly, multiple sports, I always enjoyed when a coach called me out on shit because it put a chip on my shoulder to where I could go and prove him wrong, to where we could have a discussion in a week or a month or however long it took me to fix the issue he gave me, we could have a discussion where I could say, coach, I fixed that and get the credit that I deserve, but I didn't do it for the credit. I did it because I hate being wrong. I hate not growing. I wanted to be a better player. I wanted to be a better teammate. So by embracing that and then having discussions around that and learning what I had to do beyond that, it always made me better. Turn up that voice in your, in your noggin. Get comfortable with telling yourself, this isn't okay. I'm gonna push myself to be better, okay? And again, it's not negative self-talk to call yourself out. So the other thing Goggins talks about is this 80-20 principle, right? So, it, and, and I think it might not be 20%, but this is his principle. I'm just gonna summarize it. Love to hear what you guys think about this down the line. But in his mind, he thinks that 20% your body gets tricked by your mind to hold back. I think it may be a little higher than 20%, but we certainly don't get to 100% capacity almost ever. And our mind will tell our body it's tired. Our mind will tell our, our body, you don't need to earn, learn anymore. Our mind tricks different parts of our entire world into thinking, you're there, you've arrived, you can't do anymore. That's not true. We can always get more out of ourselves. 100% is rarely attained by anybody in terms of effort, whether it be physical effort, mental effort, um, input to what we're doing on a daily basis in terms of family life and work. 
we're not at 100%. And we don't need to be at 100% all the time, but we certainly have a lot more in the tank to give overall. So that's his principle. Um, and I like it. I like knowing, hey, just because my mind's telling me to stop doesn't mean that my body can't go any further. Just because I'm mentally fatigued doesn't mean that I can't finish this email for work. So here's a question. And obviously I'm going to dive in and try and answer it a little bit. But the question is, and it's rhetorical because there's nobody here recording with me, so you guys can do with this what you want. How do you create controlled hardship and discomfort in your life every single day? And I would say it, it starts at home for parents with kids. Parents need to embrace hardship for their kids, not hide from it. Encourage them to experience difficulties and hardships. Encourage them to have their own difficult conversations with teachers, mentors, coaches, adults, their peer group. All right? And it, this can be as simple as, what do you mean little Johnny did that? You tell him that's wrong the next time he does that and that you won't be party to it. It can be as simple as that. Rather than just keeping them away from little Johnny, let's let your kid go and be a leader for little Johnny. When they're in school, like I said, teachers, coaches, you shouldn't dive in right away and take them out of the equation and just talk on their behalf. Give them the power to speak to their coaches and their leadership. All right? So I think that's where it starts at a young age. But for adults, challenge the normal. Right, And right now we live in a time where if we dive into COVID and the way this has been rolled out for the last 18 months or so, we live in a time where if you question anything, if you don't do exactly what CNN says you're to do or what Fox says you're to do, depending on which way you lean politically, then you're wrong. And it's somewhere in the middle. Some of the things we've been asked to do over the last 18 months make zero scientific sense, make zero sense in terms of a mentality standpoint, and often it's a placebo. That's my opinion. Happy to have discussions and dissent with people. Just be armed with, uh, with a lot of information because I certainly am, and I know that there's a lot of people right now that go, oh, you did research, you, did you looked something up on Google. That's not how I research, that's not how I learn. I am very well informed with studies, statistics, and looking at statistical data is something I do every day for work. So often when something is given in the news or on a website, I'm going to dive in and go, okay, this, the data can say that, but it also suggests this. Here's a trend. Here's a, here's a commonality that we've not considered here. Data can often be strewed to say what people want it to say. And often we enter into short form interviews and watch them on on the news channels and such when long form interviews like the type that we have here or joe rogan has on his podcast are how we really get into the crux of an issue and we don't just talk about talking points that are on a teleprompter but there's a lot of things we can do to challenge the normal all right whether that be in professional life education or daily life things that we're doing away from work. So my first answer to most people when they tell me they don't have time or I don't know where to start is to wake up earlier. Now the flip side is you can stay up later, but 
I find it easier to wake up earlier and start your day differently. All right, train your mind, train your body, do it first thing in the morning. I don't think there's any substitute for starting your day like that. And it's the best way to instigate personal growth. Because when your body and your mind start the day in that habit, it continues throughout your day. And once all those days compound, even if you only do it three days a week, four days a week, five days a week, whatever it is, if you start your day with waking up early, and training your mind and training your body, good things are going to happen for you. It's going to compound. Um, I think we can seek healthy conflict and discussion. I brought up CNN and Fox. They're broken. Don't let that be what forms your opinion. Have discussions, disagree with people, but be open to hearing them. That's going to be a great catalyst for growth. It's going to make you uncomfortable, all right? Discourse should be uncomfortable, but it should be uncomfortable not because you're going to argue and not because you're going to fight with somebody or never talk to somebody again. It should be uncomfortable because you're open to potentially changing your mind or at least being open to understanding someone else's reality, all right? And perception is reality. Maybe they're coming to their their conclusions based on a lack of knowledge and you can offer perspective and insight. Maybe they have a ton of perspective and insight that you don't have and by providing it to you, you can understand their viewpoint. Doesn't mean you need to agree with them. Means that you gotta go and learn a little bit more. But conflict, healthy conflict and discussion is a great way to get yourself being uncomfortable or get yourself comfortable being uncomfortable. All right? Just agree to disagree with people. Another thing, we had an entire podcast on this. Set goals. Maybe it's changing your lifestyle to attain these goals. Often when I say this, people think I'm only talking about health and fitness. Okay? You can set goals and make lifestyle changes to achieve any goals. You want to learn to play guitar? Buy a fucking guitar. Create a half an hour in your day where you play guitar for half an hour, five days a week, seven days a week, whatever it is. But you carve that out, you protect that time. Guess what? In a year, if you do that, if you did five days a week playing guitar for 30 30 hours, or sorry, 30 minutes for five days a week, you're going to be a pretty good guitar player in a year. All right? That's 260 days times 30 minutes, that's 7,800 hours, is my math off there, I just did some calculator math, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but that's, the way I did that was 52 weeks times 5 days, right, so 52 weeks times 5 days equals, let's do that again, 52 days (laughs) times, 52 weeks times 5 days equals 260 days times 30 minutes a day, 7,800 minutes. That's 130 hours. I just didn't do the last bit of math when I was doing it quickly. 130 hours of anything is going to set you down the path of being pretty good at it. All right? Maybe you enjoy it so much you start to carve out an hour. All right? It doesn't need to be guitar. doesn't need to be fitness. But if you set a goal and work backwards from the goal, that's how you improve your life. That's how you get uncomfortable. And just sticking with the guitar example, it's going to be really uncomfortable when you first pick up a guitar, 
okay? It's going to be really uncomfortable when your fingers get sore from picking on the, the fretboard. It's going to be really uncomfortable when you spend 30 minutes and you just can't get this chord down because your fingers don't have the muscle memory to reach up and do it. But over time, being uncomfortable is going to get you there. And then you become comfortable with what you couldn't do. You start pushing yourself a bit more. Now you're going to start doing different chords. Now you're going to learn how to play. Maybe you play lead guitar instead of rhythm guitar. These kinds of things. To me, without having goals, your life is always going to be comfortable. You're just there. And it's going to be boring. And you're not going to achieve as much as you could. One of the things that David Goggins says again, going back to him, this is a different video, but I remember it well. He asked someone, if you wrote a, if you wrote a book about your life to this point, and you were on your deathbed tomorrow, and you handed that book to someone to read, would it make you proud? All right? Now, the whole deathbed thing makes me laugh sometimes because I think often we all think we're going to die there surrounded by friends and family and be able to give everybody a hug. I'll put it to you like this. If you die in your sleep tonight, tomorrow, are people going to be talking shit at your fun funeral when they say, well... You know, he was a great person, she was a great person. They achieved so much when in actual fact you hadn't achieved anything. I think about that and I want, if somebody's going to speak at a funeral or a eulogy or whatever they're going to do, I want them to be telling the truth. Even if that Stephen could have accomplished so much more, but he was lazy. Think about that. What are you doing if you're not growing? If you wrote a book and handed it to someone tomorrow and then died, would you be proud of it? And it's not to say that we don't have little pieces that we're proud of, but I want to continually strive to grow and continually strive to put myself in uncomfortable positions. We're about 30 minutes in, maybe 35 minutes in. I might have just rambled for 30 minutes. It might be incoherent. But to summarize, I'm going to continue to put myself in uncomfortable situations. I'm going to continue to strive to grow. And often... What's comfortable for me is uncomfortable for others. That's going to be like that for you. That's another way that you can be uncomfortable. Okay? Being, this, being different, challenging the normal. Do it. It will make you better. I appreciate you guys listening, sharing, liking, and reviewing. Reviews seem to have slowed down for some reason. Don't know if that's an algorithm thing. But if you're listening to this still, get online. Write a review. Let us know if... Let me know, sorry, if I suck, if you like it, if you don't like it, whatever it is. I'm going to sign off now, so until the next time, be good to yourselves and to each other.